Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together. We don't ever want to take that lightly, God, that we are here for the express purpose of meeting with you. The gathering of the church is first and foremost about you, glorifying you. We do that through our singing and then through our submitting ourselves to your word, showing that it has the effect in our lives that you intended it to have. You intended for it to go forward and to create, create life in our lives. And so God, it is good to be together, whether we are gathering online or in Jasper Canton, God is a privilege to be together as the church and worship you. And God, as we open your word now, we do ask that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us. God, these words are, are not just words on a page. These are living and active and not just because they are the words literally of Jesus, God, but he is the embodiment of these words. Yes, God, but these words are your will. They are how you move and work and shape us and transform us. And so, God, we ask you to do that. Help me, as always, God, to preach this in a way that honors you and then is helpful to us. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you, church. And um, it's always great to take a break for a few weeks. And if you're new to our church, um, this is something that we do every year. And it's really kind of twofold. I, I take a preaching break because partly uh, for myself in the sense that, you know, when I Part of my job is speaking for a living, and, and that is good because I enjoy doing that, but it's really good for me to take a break to be reminded first and foremost that not everybody always needs to hear my opinion. Not everybody always needs to hear me speak. You know, when you speak for a living, you always think every opportunity is a great opportunity for you to speak. And in fact, I've joked about this before. There's never been a problem that I didn't think I could talk my way out of. More talking helps, right? Um, and, and this is a good time for me every year. I've learned, I've had to learn this. It's a good time for me to be silent um, and to listen. As the Bible says, to listen twice as much as you speak. And so I enjoy this time every year because it's just a chance for me to listen to the Lord, to spend time with him. And it's not necessarily a vacation because the first week I was serving as a small group leader with our mission camp, with our students. I was a ninth grade small group leader. And, and those of you that have been around students, you know, that is not a break at all. But it was good. It was hot, but it was good. Um, and so that was fun. But then the week after that, I got to take 
a father-son trip with my son Jackson, and we went from the heat dome that was going on during our section of the United States to Colorado, which was great because the highs were like 70 every day. There was half the oxygen, so I couldn't really breathe, but it wasn't hot. <laughs> so that was good, and we had a great time uh, before he goes off to college really talking about being a man. In fact, our podcast that drops this week, we had a whole conversation about that. So you might want to go listen to that, especially those of you that have maybe teenage sons and you're, you're thinking about creating moments and memories with them. It was such a great time. And then the last two weeks, I was back here in town, again, just really focusing on being silent, spending time with the Lord, thinking about how he wants to continue to grow me and our church. But I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for our amazing staff that not just holds things together while I'm gone. Uh, in fact, if you were at Give a Kid a Chance here uh, or in Jasper and Woodstock yesterday, you know I'm not the one that runs things. People would be asking me like, what about this? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just here. We have an amazing staff that runs everything. And so yeah, yeah, give it up for them. And particularly over the last several weeks, our pastors and ministers that spoke, Pastor Chad, Pastor David, uh, Dave, and Jeremy. Let's give it up for them specifically. They did such a great job speaking. And, and I say this often, um, that's the other reason why I like taking a break, because it's good for us as a body to hear from other people, to get perspectives from other people. And I always enjoy that, because you never know what they're gonna say. I mean, who knew Chad was gonna ride out here on a, a little remote control tank? I mean, you know? I mean, I couldn't have fit in that thing. There's no way. He barely did. But you, you get their perspectives on things. And that is the hardest part because I wanna preach the passages as well. But I love listening to them to hear their stories and their life. And I love that you get to hear from them and just see A, how talented they are, and then B, learn a perspective from them preaching that you couldn't have got any other way. And then last weekend, our worship leaders did such a great job during our worship weekends and ministering to us. Yeah, that was great as well. So it's good to be back though. Uh, I haven't spoke in quite some time. I mean, I spoke on Thursday in Canton and I'm looking forward to it today. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter four. And I thought that, you know, we should ease back in because you never know when I come back from preaching, I may just preach for a couple hours. Um, you know, our Rev kids always loves it when I do that. Um, they were like, just talk more, would you? Uh, I mean, I'm like, I, I'll try, I'll try. Um, but I thought we should ease in. So we're only gonna do four verses today in John chapter 14. But we were talking about, even prior to me taking a break, and the guys did as well, the story of the Gospel of John has now shifted to Jesus, or from Jesus' public ministry to now his private conversation that he's having with his disciples. And this is the type of conversation that I used to always love as a child, and I don't know if it's because I'm the youngest of three and I always felt like I was on the outside, but I always wanted to be on, in on every conversation that was happening. If it was something important was happening, I wanted to be there. I wanted to know about it. There's so many conversations like, man, I wish I could just be a fly on the wall, which that's a colloquial saying that we say, and I don't know why we say it because flies can't hear, but you get the point. The, the idea is, I mean, I wish I could just be in the room and hear what they were discussing. Well, the cool thing about Chapters 13 to 17 in John is we get to do that. We get to hear 
Jesus's last private conversation with his boys, with his inner circle. And what he says to them is so important. So we're gonna take time over the next few months and just dig into these chapters so that we can learn in a very similar way what Jesus wants us to know as his core people. So let's go John chapter 14. We're gonna start in verse one. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I just told you that Jesus is talking to his core. He's not talking to the crowds anymore. He's, he's done that. He's talked to the large crowds, thousands and thousands of people at once. But now he's talking to his core. Now he's talking to his disciples. And what strikes me in this verse, which is why I just wanted to do one verse before, because it's going to set the whole tone for the message today is Jesus is talking to his most committed people. He is talking to his followers. Almost all these guys will literally be martyred for their faith. John, who wrote this gospel, is the only one, but he was isolated on an island after he had been tarred and feathered. So all these guys are about to experience great trouble. Great turmoil. And the reason why I think that's important to point out, because there's this faulty belief that exists within particularly the American church, which is this. If I really stay close to Jesus, I won't experience trouble. If I'm following Jesus, I won't experience turmoil. When actually, and we'll get into this in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said the exact opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, this word here, trouble, it's an interesting word. It means to cause great emotional distress, turmoil. Another thing that it can mean is turbulence. Now, when we think about turbulence, the first thing I think about is being on an airplane. And I don't know how much you've been on an airplane. You know, we weren't flying during COVID and then everybody wanted to fly again. Now they're canceling all of our flights. And so when you're on a plane, what makes being in a plane scary, although statistically speaking, it's much safer to be on a plane than it is driving a car. But when you're driving a car, at least you have some semblance of you're in control because your hands are on the wheel, right? But when you're in a plane, that, that illusion of control goes away, and like you are now at the mercy of the pilots. And if that weren't bad enough, every time that you get on a plane, they tell you, listen, we may experience cabin loss. We may experience, you know, thing, and oxygen's gonna come down from the ceiling, and this is what you gotta do, right? We might crash. You use this as a flotation device, and you guys sitting here on the exit row, you gotta get us all out. Which that has always amazed me. I try to sit on the exit row every time I can because I would love to boss all them around instead of them bossing me around. But I don't know if you do this. Every time I get on the plane, I'm like, okay, there's my future right there, those cats, you know. And turbulence is the concept of when you're going along, these outside pressures start exerting themselves on the plane. 
which a lot of times is wind, but it can be caused by several different things. And they actually categorize different levels of turbulence. Moderate turbulence is about a seven to eight meter drop, which we don't use meters as much, but that's you know, about 20 feet. That's, you know, it's kind of, well, like one, they say one or two meters, it's slight, you don't even feel it. Moderate, seven to eight. Severe is like 30 to 50 meters, which is like a 100 to 150 foot drop, like that. And that's when you feel your stomach come up into your throat, right? It's that, it's that force of gravity that, that starts to exert itself on you, and naturally, that's a troubling feeling. Now, here's what's interesting to me about what Jesus just says. This is a command. Jesus, talking to his boys, commands them, let not your hearts be troubled. It's a command. Today, we would probably use the word anxiety. It's become a very uh, popular word, and I don't necessarily mean that good or bad. I'm just talking about it. it's a word that we use a lot more now. I'm anxious. And there are other places in the Bibles where it says, let not your heart be anxious. And so that idea of anxiousness or troubling or turmoil or emotional distress, and, and I don't think that I have to do much work to help us all understand there's been a lot of turbulence over the last two and a half years, hasn't there? A lot of troublingness, a lot of anxiousness. And yet, here's Jesus commanding us, telling us, don't be anxious. And this is what I find, and I'm not trying to knock Jesus here because I'll explain what I think he's getting at here. But what I find interesting is Jesus commands us to do something that he knows we can't do. Anybody here tried to make your heart not anxious? Yeah, it's like when you try to be patient. The worst thing in the world that you could ever do is say, you know what, I'm gonna really try to be patient. Don't say it. Because then God's gonna bring you all these circumstances to show you you ain't patient. Because here's what we fail to understand. Patience is the fruit of something else. In fact, Galatians 5 says it's a fruit of the Spirit. So watch this. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, then what that means is it's not the fruit of the self. And if it's not the fruit of the self, then what that means is the self can't produce it. The self can't produce patience, which is why if you try to be patient, you will fail. And in the same way, if we try to produce a non-anxious heart or a non-troubling heart, we will fail. Now, if you're paying attention, this is right when you would say, well, why in the world did he command that? I get high pitched when I get excited, all right? And this is, again, where I'm, I'm, I promise you I'm not being sacrilegious because that's not all that Jesus said. But I want us to understand something. This is one of two commands in this text. 
And first of all, Jesus can command whatever he wants because he's God. This is like when we were a child and we asked our parents, why do I have to do this? Our favorite thing that they told us was, because I said so, right? And this is when you were a child, you were like, I'm not gonna do that to my kids when I'm a parent. Until you realize you got tired of explaining yourself to your kids, you're like, because I said so. It's the trump card. I'm your daddy. I pay the bills around here. You wanna eat? Right? But I don't think that's the attitude that Jesus is taking here. Jesus isn't like maliciously commanding us to do something that he knows that we can't do. Even though he has the right, because he's God, to command it. Because of what he says next. And what he said next was this, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, scholars debate about whether this is three commands here, because I've told you this often, when a word is written in the imperative mood in the Greek, that's the command. And, and these three words here, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, can be taken either as commands or as just statements of fact. Sometimes it's hard to translate, and so there's differing opinions about this. But me personally, what I think is what Jesus is saying is, let not your hearts be troubled, that's command number one. You believe in God already. That's not a command, that's just a statement of fact. Then he's giving the second command that says, believe in me. I do believe that one's a command. And here's what I'm trying to connect for you. I believe that Jesus gave us two commands in this verse. Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in me. But in our Western mind, how we think, because we're very linear, we think A, B, C, one, two, three. So we go commandment number one. Let not, okay, I'm gonna try really hard to let not my heart be troubled. And then when I knock that commandment out, I'll go to command number two, believe in God or believe in Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. I think they're both commands, but the order is important. And ultimately what I think Jesus is saying here is this. If we believe in him, if we obey that command first, then we will have the ability to do what we can't do, which is let not our hearts be troubled. And here's why I think that. This word here, believe, and we talk about this word a lot, is the Greek word pastuo. It means to trust in, to trust so here's what I'm trying to connect for us. Our ability to trust in Jesus is what enables our ability to not be troubled. So not being troubled about something is directly connected to our trust in someone. Another way I could say it is this. Trust is the foundation of relationships. Let's just be insanely practical here. This isn't intended to be a marriage counseling, but sometimes it just erupts into one. It's a freebie. And if you're not married, listen to me. You can save yourself a lot of pain, all right? Trust is the foundation of a relationship. So let's say that you're in a relationship 
and you have trust with that person. You trust them. Because see, here's what trust means. Trust means I believe you. If you say it, I believe it, which then means I feel safe with you. I can be vulnerable with you. You're not going to hurt me. That's trust. And when trust is the foundation of the relationship, guess what? The heart's not troubled. The heart's not anxious. Because when I'm around you, I trust you, I'm safe with you, I don't think that you're going to say something about this behind my back or tweet it kind of inconspicuously, then I know you're talking about me, but you didn't use my name. Trust is the foundation of a relationship. In fact, I, I, just to kind of prove this point, I, I looked it up and I found some very helpful things from a clinical psychologist, and I don't have this on the screen, but I wanna read it to you just to, again, Try to make my point here about how trust is connected to a troubled heart. When there is a lack of trust in a relationship, there's some specific effects that this clinical psychologist says happen. Let me just read them to you. First, a lack of intimacy. When there is little trust in a relationship, intimacy tends to decrease. When the other person is being deceitful, you will likely want to distance yourself from them both, both emotionally and physically. Second, negativity. When you feel wronged by the other person, you may fixate on this feeling, which will not only cause you to withdraw from them, but also cause you to be filled with anger towards them. This can stifle connection and closeness. Insecurity. A lack of trust usually leads to insecurity in the relationship. In turn, you constantly doubt whether the other person tells you what the other person tells you and may react by becoming more controlling. Depression and anxiety. If there is little trust in your relationship, you might experience higher levels of depression or anxiety because you will constantly question whether the other person is lying or being deceitful. I know you have never experienced any of these things. Trouble concentrating. A lack of trust can lead to an inability to concentrate, especially if you are constantly worrying or wondering what the other person is actually thinking, feeling, or doing. Last three, distress. Not being able to trust the other person contributes to mental, emotional, and physical distress, including betrayal, trauma, and emotional dysregulation. You don't know how to regulate your emotions. You feel crazy. Fear. Low trust can call feelings, cause feelings of fear and anxiety. You may be afraid of what the other person will do next, or you might worry they won't be there when you need them. Lastly, loneliness. When you can't trust the closest person in your life, you are bound to experience feelings of loneliness and isolation. So when there's a lack of trust, you get those things. And I think all those things are a pretty good description of what it means to have a troubled heart, don't you? Now, again, we, inter we understand this on an interpersonal relationship. Now, let's apply this to God. When there's a lack of trust between you and God, you begin to experience a lack of intimacy with him you begin to experience insecurity in your, am I really saved? You begin to experience negativity. You're just hyper-focusing on all the things he didn't do. Depression and anxiety. I mean, I can go down the list. Fear, loneliness. And here's where we can make our mistake. We can make our mistake by trying to focus on all the symptoms 
dealing with the effects instead of first dealing with the cause. And here's where I'm trying to help us. You may be experiencing those things in your relationship with God, but not realize it's because at the end of the day, you don't trust him. And you feel like it's sacrilegious to say, I don't trust you, so you keep acting like you do, even though he knows you don't. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. You might want to write this down. Troubled hearts come from a lack of trust. Troubled hearts come from a lack of trust. And so I think the reason why Jesus says these two commands is because he knows. He knows that this life is going to lead to trouble. And when it leads to trouble, our natural inclination is to stop trusting him. And then the trouble calls lack of trust, which then leads us to having troubled hearts. And I think one of the reasons why this happens is people think that God is not trustworthy. Let me blow your mind here for a second. And this is the reason why you come here. Building trust comes from being trustworthy. That blew your mind, didn't it? I mean, this is deep thoughts by Pastor Jason here, all right? And what I mean by that is this. Trust has to be earned. Respect can be given. I respect you, but I may or may not trust you yet. Why? Because I don't know if you are trustworthy. I have to see what you say is what you do. And I think there's a lot of us, if we got real honest, the reason why we're experiencing so much anxiousness in our heart is because somewhere deep down, something has happened and we don't trust God in that. And all I'm trying to do is to connect these two for you. But you should not just believe me because I said it, you should go to the Bible. So let me give you a supporting verse. I do have this on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a very famous verse, but it's the two after that I think that are so important. Look at this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's our word, trust. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Another way to say that is trust him, he'll straighten you out. But look at verse 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Verse eight, here's the part that blew me away. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So let's connect verse eight to verse five. And this is what the connection I'm trying to show you. Trust in the Lord. It will be healing to your body. And so if there's some parts of your body that are inflamed... It might be because somewhere in there, you're not trusting. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should be ashamed about that. 
All I'm saying is recognize that. Because here's what I want you to see. Yes, he is God and he can command whatever he wants. And he does not have to give us evidence for why we should obey him. He can say, because I said so. But he's a good God. Which is why I think Jesus says what he says next. Look at these next two verses. Verse two and three. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? What is Jesus doing there? He said, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm not lying to you. I'm not telling you one thing and gonna do another. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm trustworthy. And then look at verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now watch this. Jesus starts off this section with saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says, trust me, but watch this. Then he builds out a case as to why you can't trust him. And why can you trust him? Because he did what he said he was going to do. He has integrity. He's not a hypocrite. Now, you have to remember at this point in time in the storyline, when Jesus is saying these words, this is pre-cross. This is pre-resurrection. This is pre-ascension. And Jesus had just told them, I'm going away. And that's why they're troubled. They're going, he's going away and they're troubled. But Jesus is saying, but listen to me. If I go away, which I will, I will come back again. And they had to believe, watch this. They had to believe more so then we have to believe because they hadn't seen him resurrect yet. They hadn't seen him ascend to the right hand of the Father yet. But we have. So they had to trust him before he did part of what he did or said he was going to do. But we have even more evidence to trust him than they did because he's already done part of what he said he was gonna do. Let me say it to you like this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this is crucial to understanding faith. Our faith is built upon the finished and future work of Jesus. Finished and future Rightly, there's a lot of emphasis in church about the finished work of Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he uttered those three famous words, it is what? Finito. I tricked you. Yes, it's finished. It's done. And we rightly say the Christian faith isn't built upon the commands of do It's built upon 
the word done. It's been done. And out of that, we have been given the power through the Spirit of God to do. But the grounding of my salvation is not my doing, it's his doneness. So we rightly focus on the finished work of Christ. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on that. But here's what I am saying. It's only half of it. The gospel is not just he died, he rose again, he ascended. There's a fourth part to it. He's coming back. And that is the foundation of our trust. So let me say it to you like this. If you and I were secure in the fact, not only of what he did do, but what he will do, then we would be less troubled. We'd be less troubled. We'd have less unsettledness from the turbulence that's blowing against us because we have this thought. He's coming to get me. He's coming. Now, what's interesting is you have to understand a little bit about Jewish culture to understand the real emphasis of this text because Jesus is borrowing on wedding culture from this. Now, you may have heard this before, but it's fascinating to me. In Jewish culture, what would happen is, you know, the father of the bride or the daughter would, would give away his daughter and the son or the, the husband from the other family, they would be betrothed. And so you would have obviously, you know, kind of an arrangement that was made and the husband or the future husband would come and basically in our language propose, the arrangement would be set. And then what would happen is the boy would go back to his father's house because he would normally was standing to inherit that. And so he would go back to his father's house and he would build a room onto that house. So ladies, you'd be living with your in-laws. Yeah, some of y'all might've said no, if that was this culture, right? Like, ain't no way, ain't no way. That is hell. Uh, <laughs> but he would go back and build a room because that house was going to be his. And that would take normally about a year. And so they would be betrothed. And during that year, he's gone. And they didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have email. So they wouldn't talk for almost a year. And she would never know when he was coming back. This is why Jesus used the parable of the virgin keeping her lamp lit because the groom was coming back at any time. So every day and all night, the bride would have the lamp on and she was ready for his return. Because she didn't know when. But imagine, after six months, it's like, is he still coming? After seven months, 
I saw him eyeing Rebecca. She talks, starts talking to herself. You know you do this. And what do we do? We start drawing on all the evidence that we see that tells us that he's not coming. Instead of drawing on the only evidence that we need to know that he is coming, his word. And Jesus is drawing on this metaphor, or this, he's drawing on it metaphorically, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love you so much, I'm going to my father's house and building a room on. So heaven is not going to be a bunch of mansions. It's one mansions with a bunch of rooms. And this is where some of you are like, well, that's not what I thought heaven was. I don't want to be in a house with all those people. Well, maybe they don't want to be with you. But thank God we'll all be resurrected and have, you know, so all our ignoring qualities will be gone. So it's not a bunch of mansions. It's one mansions, one mansion with a bunch of rooms. And so people are like, why is Jesus taking so long? Because he's building on more rooms. Someone else trusts Jesus. Oh, I got to build another room. Trust, okay, I got to build another room. They had to they give a kid a chance. People trust Jesus. I got to build another room. And every day that goes by, the bride, i.e. the church, is looking around at the world and saying, well, there's a lot of craziness going on. Where is he? Where is he? Russia invaded Ukraine, China doing that. Where is he? And here's what's great. We start acting like this is the first time the world has ever had trouble. Inflation. And here's all I'm trying to show you. The more you focus on that stuff, the more troubled your heart will be. But the more you look at these, and I would highly encourage you to memorize these verses. And when anxiousness starts to creep in, troubling starts to creep in, that lack of intimacy or insecurity or whatever it is starts to creep in, you say, no, no, no. I trust he's coming to get me. And how can I trust that he's coming to get me? Because he already paid for me. See, this is why I said it's built on the finished and future work. How can you and I know that he will do the future work? Because of his past work. His past work says he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Which is why he leaves with this verse and we'll continue next week. Verse four, he says this, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, Thomas is gonna speak up next week and be like, we don't know the way. But those of you that have been in Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. It's always the answer, right? And I highlighted way to where because of this. The way to where is through a who. See, thank God 
my relationship with him is not built on my ability to be trustworthy for him. My relationship with him is built upon Jesus's ability to be trustworthy for me. And this is why I don't understand. I just gotta be, I'm not <clears throat> being mean here, but I don't understand when people won't trust Jesus. And here's why. I, I get if they didn't grow up in the background or they grew they, you know, I get it. But the reason why I don't understand why people don't trust Jesus is because I have come to one conclusion. I'm not trustworthy. I know me. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of us, the reason why we don't trust Jesus to the level that we think that we can or should is because we haven't come to the realization of how utterly bankrupt we are. We're, we're like kind of trusting Jesus, but still trusting ourselves because we have control issues like sitting in the exit row. But no matter the turbulence, I know the captain's got it. He's gonna get me home. So when everybody else is freaking out, running around on an airplane that does nothing, does me running around or freaking out on an airplane affect the trajectory of it at all? No, but it just makes me feel better. I can sit back in my, I'm taking this metaphor to the nth degree. I can sit back in that chair and hit recline and everybody else is freaking out. I'm like, we're going to get home. I can trust God and take a nap. And this is when you're like, my heart's too troubled for that, bro. Well, maybe it's troubled from a lack of trust. And so the invitation today is trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. This is what sets Christianity apart, God, from every other faith system. Our faith is built on not what we do, but what you did. The reason why you could look your boys in the face and say, trust me, is because you knew what you were about to do for them. And God, I can only imagine when they saw you resurrect, how in that moment they knew you could be trusted. Which is why they could give their life for you. Because they trusted you. And so God, I know there are people here today watching or listening that have not crossed that first line of faith where they trusted you. We say 
when I accepted Christ, but the concept of it is not so much passive by itself. It's, it's also this, yes, I received Christ, but I'm actively trusting. And so God, I pray right now that you would save people as they trust in you. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Jesus before, then today you can trust him and you're trusting him based upon what he did and what he will do, which was get you back into relationship with his father. So if you wanna trust him, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus to do for me what I couldn't do. And now I trust him to save me. Put my sins on him. Put his righteousness on me. I give you my anxious, troubled heart and I ask you to replace it with a heart full of faith. Forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray to trust Christ and you're in one of our physical locations, we just simply lift up your hands so we can see that. We just have men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. We just wanna celebrate with you. And those that have trusted Jesus, I wanna give you permission to do something, which may sound weird, but go with me. I wanna give you permission to say to God, without fear of repercussion, you know, God, really, I don't trust you in this area. I don't trust you with my kids. I don't trust you with my money. I don't trust you because I don't believe what you said. And the reason why I wanna give you permission to do that is God knows you don't trust him, so just own it, be honest. And then ask him to give you the grace to trust him. Because he's a good God. He'll bring verses to your memory. This is why you can trust me. This is what I said, I'm trustworthy. So believe him. Father, there's a lot of troubled hearts in this world and in these rooms. And God, it's not sin in and of itself to be troubled because chapter 12 said Jesus was troubled. He was greatly troubled. But it can become sin when our anxiousness, when our lack of intimacy, when our insecurities, when our fears start overriding our faith. And we quit acting on your word because we don't trust you. And so God, we ask you to help us. Give us the grace to trust you. And then from that place, would you create the fruit of a non-anxious heart? Because God, God, the world needs Christians that move out into its fear non-anxiously. So often as Christians, we don't have anything to offer the world, God, because we're just as anxious as them. But God, you've asked us to trust you and then to move out into the world as peacemakers. 
as non-anxious presence among our family and our coworkers and our businesses, God, because those people are really troubled because they don't know you. And so, God, I pray for the fruit of a peaceful, a restful, a joyful heart as we trust you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.